0: Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 35 with Joseph Makos and Joseph B. Evident.
1: This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for Poetry. Alright, we're uh, here in the studio again, and uh, we, I don't know, we have an episode here for you. we talk about some things. We, we, uh... It's going to be a segmented uh, episode today, I think. So that's my, that's my feeling. We just
0: came back from a non-really poetry-related event, but it's Prospect 4
1: in New Orleans right now. At the Old U.S. Mint, they had an opening, focused around the opening of uh, Louis Armstrong uh, collages. That he did on his reel-to-reel cover boxes, which I think is really cool. It is neat. I
0: mean, in that, uh, so, that is a little poetry related, right? Because if you talk about the, just, the kind of collage aesthetic of poetics, and that, I mean, I don't know, like, the visual art part of that and the, and the word art part of that is kind of the same. And he did have a lot of stuff that was using words.
1: For sure. Cut-ups and little fragments of language and... A piece from this phrase or this card that someone sent him. A piece from this other, yeah. other article about him. Stuff he cut off from newspaper. I like the entry, uh, herbal laxative package. A package of herbal laxatives from. I think that was like. what well, I think that was like Copenhagen or something. It, it was. I, I have. I think I have a picture of it. Um, it was. Uh, it was from like another country, but he had this. Uh, this herbal laxatives piece, like stuck in his. Uh, let's see what it says here. Herbal one hundred percent herbal laxatives free sample. Um, I thought this one said something. Anyways, Denmark or something. Anyways, but yeah, I think you know it's a cool thing to see an artist. I guess we can talk a little bit about like it's not quite ekphrastic because we're not like taking a painting and writing about it, but a musician who's creating visual art um for his cover boxes of his real real the reels. So he apparently traveled with two real the real recorders. Yeah. Um, and, he would, and he would record all sorts of private interviews and conversations and his own playing and all sorts of stuff. And then he uh, f- took all the different media that he picked up over the years about himself, really, and uh, people around him and um, collaged his cover boxes. Which-, which is neat. I mean, he
0: didn't have to do that. He could have just taken a marker and written titles of the things on there. It's totally. much cooler that he... He took the time
1: to do it. Yeah. And, uh... There's a lot of conjecture about like what it means that like, he did that because it was like it's widely unknown that he did that, and uh, it's not like it's not like uh, uh, I didn't know much. I the, the way that I learned about Louis Armstrong's uh, collage art was that there was another exhibit up in the Mint prior, and they had one piece on loan from the Armstrong House Museum in New uh-huh. York, and I was like, wow, this is so cool. I was like, and I asked one of the curators about it, and he was like. Oh yeah it's gonna it's we're having a whole show for prospect so I was super stoked when I had heard that it was gonna be up
0: it was pretty cool but yeah so we just have kind of a random miscellany of topics tonight I think
1: yeah we'll get through a few things so you you found
0: something five hours ago interesting in poetry news which I haven't heard yet that you wanted to talk about
1: well I mean I'm just gonna sift through it here but this is an article that was just came out five hours ago. I don't know, it's on the Daily Mail, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but uh, it, it's titled, the, the article is titled, it's in the Daily Mail Science section. It's not very often that...
0: That's this, an oxymoron well, in itself. That's,
1: yeah, that's <laughs> that science that science comes up uh, in, poetry comes up in the science division, but uh, it did. And it's, how to impress someone with poetry. According to science, focus on imagery and make it emotional. Well, I mean that's not all that's, that's not all altogether together, right? bad
0: advice. Uh,
1: but you know, the Daily Mail does these kind of like bulleted points, and I think it's I think it's we could we could talk a little bit about these four bulleted points with even getting without even getting into the article. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So okay. here's what they okay. put. Mental imagery was most appealing as were emotional and positive poems.
0: What is mental imagery it mean? It just says
1: mental imagery. Okay. People tend to dislike poems with a negative tone that did not evoke imagery.
0: Well, I think the imagery part, I think the imagery part makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think about work sometimes, and if it doesn't really have images that you can really attach yourself to, sometimes you can get really lost in sort of like the mind of the...
0: I mean, there's exceptions, there's some things that work really well without imagery, but I would say if you're if you're looking at poetry in general on the whole most most poetry that's successful has a pretty good amount of imagery in it, if nothing else. not that it I mean I can think of examples that don't, but they're rarer, sure. I don't know what this whole positive negative thing or what that even means.
1: I think in general people probably respond more favorably to positive not me man phraseology. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it's probably the opposite for
1: me. If anything,
0: well, not necessarily, but
1: negative Nancy over here. <laughs> uh, All right, what's the next bullet point? Well, those were the first two, right? Okay. the The next one is more than four hundred participants rated poems of two genres: haiku and sonnet. Those aren't really genres. I think they mean
0: forms. I guess. <laughs> Forms, yeah. Okay, they they use the word genre. So, and we're going to find out what they preferred out of haikus and sonnets. Is that what they're about to tell us? Yeah, I would say that they probably preferred
1: haikus. I would say so. They, but they rated poems out of those categories. Okay. Fourth bullet point: the best haiku included the line "blossoms leap from tree to tree," and the worst one included a lot the line. A drunken girl vomiting. Wow, I kind of want to hear that haiku. (laughs) (laughs) Or that sonnet, right?
0: What happened to... Remember there used to be that New Orleans haiku society? There was a haiku society. And there were those two ladies that they would almost come to every single reading and read haikus that this haiku society wrote. I don't think it was necessarily even ones they wrote. What happened to them? I don't know.
1: I don't know, maybe we should look them up, see if it exists. I I swear to God, they might have a Facebook page, maybe. Well, you know,
0: there is that Facebook page, which I think I'm a member of, that I think uh, Mark Full started, that Garden of the Seventeen thing, which a lot of it is people writing haikus. Yeah. But it's pretty inactive these days. There was a time where it was active.
1: Uh, So... Let me so, get, let me get into this a little bit. Okay. So it's yeah, a short yeah. article. It's not very long. Yeah. But um. Uh. So yeah. So it goes through. It's just like you know, basically they take the survey and they write this article and it's like talking about you know uh what this what it could be. Okay. And it it gives us the so wait wait thing.
0: I I don't this is the two worst. I don't know if I got the point of the haiku sonnet thing. What were they saying about that? They were just having them write haik- haikus and sonnets. That's all they said.
1: Well, here's what's funny too. It introduces the idea, and then it, and then and then the the intro the introduction of the article just basically goes through this. It rehashes that whole information again, and then and then and then it goes into this whole like this whole thing that's like, oh, uh, if you want to if you want if you want to woo someone, you should focus on writing poems that have vivid mental imagery. And they're positive, according to psychologists. So it was a psychological study, right? Okay, that's fine. But here, I'm going to read you the best and worst haikus. Ready? Okay. This is the best haiku out of the 400. Okay. Like a spreading fire, blossoms leap from tree to tree in a blazing spring. That was the best one? Yeah.
0: Hmm. I don't know. I don't think they look too hard there.
1: Here's the worst haiku. Ready? This is the worst one. Oh, wait. Is this the
0: one with the drunken girl throwing up? Alright, I'm I'm excited about this one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is is something you (laughs) would (laughs) have (laughs) written. Not really, but close. (laughs) Get ready. Worst haiku. (laughs) And now this thing, too. (sighs) A drunken girl vomiting in the summer rain. (laughs) I think that's actually better.
0: (laughs) I agree. I think (laughs) I don't know about the and if it was something other than and now this thing too to introduce it, but I I do like I I do do like a drunken girl vomiting in the summer rain, it's kind of nice.
1: It is good. Yeah, it's good. It's actually better. And here's why it's better. It's better because it's actually the more lasting vivid imagery. So when they say yeah, when they say I you agree. focus on vivid imagery, right? That's some vivid imagery. And we dissect the first coup, the first haiku, like a spreading fire. Okay, now I'm going to say this: I think a spreading fire is a negative imagery. Who likes well, the idea? Yeah, of no, like it's certainly not positive. Different? Who likes the idea of a fire spreading? In it's their certainly house? not positive. <laughs> a fire spreading is like actually fucking horrifying, right? Like if you can't put the fire out, and it, like it's spreading, like your pan's on fire in your kitchen, and it just caught your curtain, and now the side of your, uh, like, like, the side of your, uh, sh- uh shelf, uh, is catching on fire. Like, a fire spreading is actually not a positive
0: thing. No, oh, well, okay. unless you're trying to, like, clear brush or something, I guess. Now,
1: now, here's the next thing it says. It says, <laughs> unless you're trying to clear brush, yeah, great. <laughs> Blossoms oh, leap from tree to tree. That's
0: just not something... Blossoms normally do, so
1: it's a little surreal, but it's actually not surreal. Are, are we
0: just talking about them falling from the trees? Maybe
1: no. It doesn't say falling. It says yeah, but says is that it.
0: just a, a poetic way of saying that?
1: I don't think so because it's like a spreading fire.
0: Uh, so it's like they're blooming in succession. or are blooming in
1: succession. I don't know. That's cheesy. Like a spread, but it's like. But here's the thing: when you, it, I'm thinking of spring times when I've been out in the days of my youth. And we would walk through the forest, and we would walk through the trees, and we would go hiking. And I don't backwards. think of them blooming in succession. And you know, you've seen things in nature happen before you. You know, I think of that when, as like a fall thing. Like, yeah, I
0: think of trees turning their leaves, turning yellow and orange in succession. I don't think of trees blossoming in succession. They seem to blossom kind of all at once, or at least in patches. Sure. That just seems inaccurate to me.
1: Well, inaccurate, but the other thing that's a problem is the last line too. Is in a blazing spring. So, well, that's the, just. So we had to come back to the fire, and spring is lowercase here. So, in a certain sense, they're trying to relate it to water. Loot like unintentionally. Well, I don't
0: know if they're trying to, but you're right, it, it does... Yeah, because you can't help but think of the other meaning of spring. A blazing
1: spring, but I, I just don't think that, for me, Blossom's Leap is... is I think it they just work.
0: meant the season, but you're right, it does kind of give you the, the idea of a spring.
1: So, this is the best... That was the best and worst uh, haiku, okay? Uh, and now they're asking this researcher from New York University... Okay, and looks at the factors—the okay. factors that explain sort of the, the uh, why we find particular poems one way or another, particularly aesthetically pleasing. Why we like what we like. So oh, this will be rich. <laughs> "Quote: Certain factors consistently influence how much a poem will be enjoyed," said Amy Belfi, a postdoctoral fellow in the New York University's Department of Psychology. Researchers had more than 400 participants read and rate 111 haiku. And 67 sol- or sorry and 16 silence after reading each poem the participants answered questions about the poems vividness emotional arousal and aesthetic appeal <laughs> emotional arousal okay <laughs> uh, and she goes on to say uh, that and what did this eminent uh, psychologist she determined well, from this. what she goes on to say right she says quote, The haiku with the highest average rating of aesthetic appeal, the most popular or well-liked, you could say, was about flowers blooming and spreading like a fire. The haiku with the lowest aesthetic appealing rating was about a drunken girl vomiting. Okay, so they just repeated the same fucking thing again.
0: But what is the
1: conclusion that she draws from this? Or there isn't one. Uh, I mean, she just says, like, vividness is a way of describing how strongly people feel or experience imagery while reading. Whatever. I just don't know. That's not really a psychological insight so much as a definition of vividness. Then there's a stock image of a guy writing with a quill pen. And then, uh, then there's another section here that's called The Ingredients for a Good Poem. Okay. (laughs) Uh. A
0: dash of cumin... Okay. I don't so think it's be like that,
1: the idea is that you, you should use uh, very descriptive and sensory words. Quote I think part of it is that poems with a positive valence likely evoke positive Valence? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Likely <laughs> evoked positive feelings in the reader and people enjoy feeling happy or other positive emotions. It may be that people found the less vivid poems to be boring or uninteresting, although we didn't necessarily test that interpretation in the present study. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you tested much, to be honest. Yeah, I mean this just sounds like a bunk article, really. Oh well. But well oh well, but look, she goes on to say this for example, if you're reading a poem about blazing fire, you may feel you may feel that you can visually see the fire or feel the heat. And, which, and would be a strongly vivid poem. Okay, no shit. Um,
0: well, I mean, that part is, like, kind of obvious, but that part at least is kind of true, right? Uh, being able to visualize something is important, right? I mean, that that is where a lot of the power of poetry comes from. And especially being able to visualize things in a concise way. Right? Like, if you think of a movie, and film's an amazing medium, but it has to be used in a very different way. If you wanted to convey even that haiku scene, which I don't particularly like, how many minutes would that take on film to convey that? I think it would take a lot more time.
1: You don't think you could convey that in a ten-second film?
0: If you're trying to get the connotations, too. Not just showing the flowers, but you're trying to compare it to fire and compare it to these things. You would have to, like, cut between, like, a blazing fire Wood. and the the, tree the, the the trees doing this, and it would take more time, right? There's something about poetry's ability to condense metaphors in a way that other mediums can't, right? I think.
1: Yeah. And then there's another... And then they, they talk... Well, I, true... True, because language is pretty... Di- I mean, language can be very direct in a certain way, you know? The vividness of a poem consistently predicts its aesthetic appeal. Okay, no shit. How are they measuring the vividness of a poem, though, is what I don't get. Yeah, that's a good question.
0: Because I feel like, other than that beginning where, like, this too is whatever, the the haiku about the girl throwing up it's is more pretty vivid. vivid. Yeah. I don't know if it's more vivid, but that's
1: pretty vivid. It's pretty vivid. Right? Yeah. True. This is this is the last line on, the, on here. It says, while limited to poetry, she adds, our work sheds light into which components most influence or our aesthetic judgments and paves the way for future research investigating how we make such judgments in other domains.
0: Man, I don't know where this person works, but... Poof!
1: If they could get funding for that bullshit, I don't know. Dr. Gabrielle Starr, author of Feeling Beauty, the Neuroscience of Aesthetic Experiment," Experim- Experience, sorry.
0: That doesn't sound like a real neuroscience topic, but okay. Um, okay.
1: I don't know, interesting.
0: But you know what's also funny to me about that article, right? The poems that they chose to use were haikus and sonnets. True. Why do
1: you think that is? Uh, easier to digest. Why? Well, haikus are short. Haikus are short. Sonnets are not particularly
0: short. Sounds right. People are just familiar with those forms, I think, right? Yeah, that's it. It's funny, I just recently did a thing on sonnets. Not on purpose. I was trying to give my students a bunch of second generation New York school poets. Yeah. And I just kept picking out sonnets. Like, non-traditional sonnets. Which are awesome. And they're kind of interesting. I like non-traditional sonnets a lot. Um, and I really like Bernadette Mayer's non-traditional sonnets. Have you read many of them? No. And in fact, actually, I think just like a couple years ago... She came out, there was like a reprint of all the ones she had done before, and she wrote some new ones for it, too. And, well, let's read one in a sec- or read a couple of them in a second, because I have some here, but, uh um, oh, you do, cool. Yeah, but, uh, well, then I found this interview. Well, I- It's about this- this Sonic, because this is probably one of the most famous ones. It's pretty great. And she, it was some podcast that was like, it was for some, like, online writing workshop, but for some reason they had her on there. Okay. And she read this, and then but, uh, but I'll say what she said about it after, which is great. Cool. But this is a good sonnet. Maybe you've read this one before. But this is Bernadette Mayer. Sonnet. You jerk, you didn't call me up. You jerk, you didn't call me up. I haven't seen you in so long. You probably have a fucking tan. And besides that, instead of making love tonight... You're drinking your parents to the airport. I'm through with you bourgeois boys. All you ever do is go back to ancestral comforts only money can get. Even Catullus was rich, but nowadays you guys settle for a couch by a soporific color cable TV set instead of any arc of love. No wonder the G.I. Joe team blows it every other time. Wake up! It's the middle of the night! You can either make love or die at the hands of the Cobra Commander. <laughs> to make love, turn to page 121. To die, turn to page 172. <laughs>
1: That's fucking green. It is
0: green. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that poem. Wow, that oh, was. it's good. It's a good poem, right? Yeah. And she's got... Well, I, th- I might have one more of hers in
1: there. I might have two more of hers in here. What's her... What's her what's her connection to the G.I. Joe? Like, was Well she I like watching G.I. Joe? How does she know about Cobra Commander and G.I. Joe? I don't know, she must have just seen it. But I think the you know, it's like the idea of
0: like these kind of like immature, you think of like, I think that's one she must have written earlier, right? And if you think of like when we were kids and how G.I. Joe was, but you can think of this immature kind of young 30-year-old, young 30s guy Still watching cartoons like that. I think that's kind of the idea, right? Definitely. There's a lot of those today. <laughs> yeah, there's more now than there were then. But like for that time period, that's a good, uh, yeah, good thing to pick for that. But yeah, that's probably one of her more famous one of her non traditional sonnets, and I like it. And it's got the little choose your own adventure thing at the end, which is funny too. Yeah. But so on the on the podcast, someone called in and asked her a question about it. Or no, so they read it because they were just like, oh, we read this at the workshop and they liked it. But someone else called in and asked some question about, I don't know, some bullshit question about, uh, do you think police need to write in form first before they try to write things not in form? Of course, she was just like, no. Uh, don't waste your time. You probably shouldn't read anything. That's before, before the 1900s. <laughs> and, well, typical Bernadette thing, uh, but but then she was like, "Yeah, in fact, the more I've been thinking about it, which I thought was great, um, I'm gonna and I apologize, I'm paraphrasing what she said, but she said the more I think about it, the sonnet is a, is a really terrible form because it uh, it makes us feel like we want closure to things, and that's not how life works, right? That uh, it's it's this really false form because it makes you feel that in the end of things everything needs to be wrapped up in some way and it needs to have some kind of closure to it, right? Uh-huh. That yeah. it's like a yeah. Hmm. I think it's true, but it's interesting. I mean, she spent so much time playing with that form probably because she was thinking about those things, and then and then of course the Ted Berrigan sonnets were is another like thing like that. Sure. Of those kind of yeah. Well, I don't know. Let's see. I might have one more, or I have two more. You can, or maybe we can read both. Oh, these are both good. I have two more Bernadette ones, and I have some Ted Bergen ones in here. Or you can pick one of these two Bernadette ones. Bernadette right? ones.
1: Let's see. Okay, I'm gonna read the Incandescent War Poem Sonnet. This is she wrote this in 1968. Incandescent War Poem Sonnet. Even before I saw the chambered Nautilus, I wanted to sail, not in the U.S. Navy. Tonight I'm waiting for you, your letter, at the same time his letter. The view of you by him and then by me in the park. No rhymes. I saw you. This is in prose. No, it's not. Sitting with the mollusks and anemones in an empty autumn enterprise baby, you look pretty. With your long eventual hair, his love came. What's this? A sonnet. Loves a babe. We know that. I'm coming up. I'm coming. Shakespeare only sucked to one subject, but I'll mention. Nobody said you have to get young Americans some ice cream in the artificial light in which she woke. <laughs>
0: Like eh, that's a that's a good one too. That's a funny one. It's like all those references, right? Yeah, and that's like a sonnet critiquing sonnets. It right? is a
1: sonnet critiquing sonnet. Yeah.
0: Although it's weird, I guess Oliver Wendell Holmes' "Chambered Nautilus" isn't a sonnet, but it's like critiquing traditional poetry. And then I guess Shakespeare. I mean, that is critiquing sonnets, saying Shakespeare only stuck to one subject, right?
1: Yeah. You get some David Bowie reference. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, you have to get young, get to get young Americans some ice cream in the artificial light in which he woke. Yeah, it's pretty good. This
0: is they're good, and then of course, like I don't know, there's this whole tradition of these. What? Why? You see less of it now, but there was that resurgence, especially in the sixties and seventies, of like non-traditional sonnets. You still see him sometimes. And I don't know, I think maybe we got to read a Ted Berrigan one, right? Just one, at least. Because he's probably most famous for that, if anyone else. I kind of like this one. This is Ted Berrigan's sonnet number three. Stronger than alcohol, more great than song. Deep in whose reeds great elephants decay. I, an island sail, and my shoes toss on a fragrant evening, fraught with sadness, bristling hate. It's true, I weep too much. Dawn's break, slow kisses on the eyelids of the sea. What other men sometimes have thought they've seen? And since then, I've been bathing in the palm, lifting her shadowy flowers up for me, and hurled by hurricanes to a birdless place, the waving flags, nor pass by prison ships. Oh, let me burst and I be lost at sea, and fall on my knees then, womanly. His sound is so... His, like, his rhythm on those things is so great. It's just wonderful.
1: Yeah, it really does find a nice spot. It's like... There's this like, whole... Who's he talking to, you know? Well, I mean, it almost doesn't matter, but
0: it's like, it's funny, right? There was this whole kind of modernism reacted to Romanticism and, like, stepped away from it so far, but I kind of feel like a lot of... This This reminds me... Yeah, that's what I said, it's romantic, very Romantic, romantic right? Romantic. But in a very modern way, it's but it's still, modern. like, very much in that kind of tradition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, it, but, yeah, but also kind of making fun of it a little bit at the same time,
1: but in a way where it still obviously adores it, it's nice. <laughs> I just think, I was just thinking about that article that we found in the Daily Mail. Yeah? Uh, th- I, I was just thinking that there's no way that this wasn't written by a robot. It just seemed like an article that, like, a robot would write.
0: Yeah, well, but it's funny, right? If you think about the ideas of poetry... Whatever that means. But if you think of, like, the general population's idea of poetry, I guess I'm not that surprised that's what Daily Mail would write. Would anyone who's writing for one of those magazines have even have ever read a Ted Berrigan sonnet? No. Or a Bernadette Mayer poem? No. Much less things even stranger than that. Their, their idea of poetry is stuck
1: so far in the past. Well, I think what they probably did is they probably chose some super safe stuff. Like, stuff that's, like, right in the middle of, like... But that's... But, I mean... And I don't know if there's, like,
0: copyright issues or what the hell that is. But even if you were going to stick to haikus and sonnets... I mean, it seems like the safe thing to do would be, like, give people a bunch of basho haikus. Give p- people a bunch of Shakespeare sonnets. Like, that would be the safe thing, right? In that a way... Like, like,
1: too, like... Yeah. It depends
0: who... But they wanted, them. what? Things that people didn't know what they were, maybe? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Stuff but that then they, is people wouldn't be familiar with. I don't know. It's <laughs> very weird. But my point is, regardless of what they used... It's such a weird, constricted idea of what poetry is that it's hard to even understand, I don't know, what the value of that is in any sort of way. I, don't, yeah. I kind of love the idea of, in a, I mean, even if it turned into some wonderful dystopian situation, of having a bunch of psychologists and scientists trying to quantify poetry. Man, let's create that. Let's create some weird poetry science institute where you just <laughs> <laughs> where you have all these scientists and psychologists like running tests on poetry trying to figure out how it works. I like it. Oh, that'd be an awesome like B-horror movie, <laughs> and then somehow they create some poetry monster that gets out and starts killing people. That's a movie right there. I'm telling you. Poetry? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very limited
1: audience, but I would find it amusing. <laughs> I like, the, like, like It's the, like running... Instead of some like, poets on the street, they're like selling... selling it's magic. some like...
0: Horrid monster running around reciting like some weird, like Frankenstein put together poetry that kills people when they hear it.
1: The Dada has escaped from his again. <laughs> the Dada is on the loose. Right? <laughs> that would be awesome. They call him the Dada. What do they call they- <laughs> him? The Dada. They call him the Dada. <laughs> the Dada is on the loose. The Dada's on the loose. It <laughs> would be funny in the paper. Like, Dada, Hunt on for Dada, Hunt, The Hunt is on for for Dada, The Hunt is on for (laughs) Dada, Police Hunt, Police Hunt for, for Escape Dada. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? I don't know, I I, I I think it would be kind of a good, uh, that would be kind of a funny little movie. design those newspapers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, weird, huh? Well, there's this whole, like, idea of, like, quantifying things that's funny, right? Although, it, I mean, it's funny to, like, for for some psych, it's funny for some psychologists to try to, like, quantify poetry. What makes poetry work? I mean, that'd be cool if you could figure that out, but I kind of think psychology might be the wrong tool to be doing that, although that person seemed to be questionable as a neurologist to begin with, but... Even if you were doing it in a more in a better way, I'm not sure that that's really the tool that would get you there.
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, well, I mean, think about this: as like the whole premise of that article was like like that. Like if you want to court, think about what the whole premise of that article is. If you want to court somebody, here's how you write
0: poetry. When Froggy went
1: according... when Froggy went according...
0: <laughs> was that one of the? And articles? recited his haiku. I don't know. I'm just you said court, court someone. It made me think of that, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just saying if you want to if you want if you want to court somebody with your with poetry, but I you think, do you yeah. do stuff like you know you do stuff like write poems on a typewriter and put them in an egg and and leave them hidden with a little note and you know well and like ideally and like, yeah. And like and like and like. Send strange visual poetry that you made instead of a stupid. Gist well, but that that's what I'm saying. Internet. That is my like. Sec- be fucking like do like be creative. But like, that's my
0: second grade like, idea of poetry. Write
1: a poem poems on the leaves of a of a of an eucalyptus tree. I think that's like. I mean, like that's
0: literally what they're talking about. Is like literally what I did in second grade, <laughs> where I would get a crush on some girl and write a letter where I was like, "Your eyes are like." Brown diamonds or something, (laughs) and like, and then like sneak the (laughs) sneak the letter to them. You know, that's what they're talking about, right?
1: Steal the line. (laughs) uh, But it's gonna say this: your eyes, your eyes are like blood diamonds. (laughs) Like blood diamonds. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) That's a good. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good line. <laughs> but yeah. that's what they're talking about, right? Yeah. Like,
0: that's some. That's like some seriously immature idea
1: of what poetry is, right? The next line My conflicts are immaterial. <laughs> 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 well, and it's funny. I just bought.
0: Uh. Because we, oh, we had been talking about the, I'm still going to get the name wrong. Universal
1: Deck? I got it wrong
0: last time. I'm going to get it wrong. Personal Universe Deck? Personal Universe Deck. That's the correct term.
1: Was that what you were talking about? Yeah. Were you just really thinking about that?
0: That's what, remember we talked about that? I know, but how did I know that's
1: what you were thinking of?
0: Because I think Megan commented that she was like, I haven't heard about that since Naropa. She did comment about that. And then, well, but when I was looking for the show notes for that episode, I figured out where it came from. I had, like, I got it from some other, like, poetry pedagogy book where someone shamelessly reused it and did not credit where they got it from. Really? Um, Which it was Michael McClure.
1: He started it? Or he is So... That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. uh,
0: It was Michael McClure. And... So, this was like the period right before Ginsburg left Naropa. Okay. And they were doing this lecture series where they had different poets come in and give lectures about things, and that was Michael McClure's lecture, it was about the Personal Universe deck. So, I had to go, when I found, figured that out, I was like, oh, I need to order this. There's this nice volume. There's actually two volumes of of those lectures. Yeah. I got the first volume, I don't know. I probably should go buy the second one, too. Off of ABE, you know? So, which is really cool, and that is neat. And if we do decide to do something with it, now we have the original lecture where he was talking about that, which is better than what we were kind of going off of last time. But there were other interesting lectures in there, you know? But I just was, I was looking at this Ron Padgett one. Because I had my class watch Patterson. And so I had them read some Ron Padgett poems, and they wrote the poems for Patterson. And uh, we were talking about Padgett and stuff. But, so then I was like, oh, let me give this lecture. But also because I was trying, you know, I, the thing we were talking about, I think one of the hardest things, if you're trying to get, anyone to write poetry is, you know, disabusing of them of some of these general ideas of of poetry that we're talking about, which is really hard, right? But his lecture, he kind of starts off with this thing where he's like, oh, well, I'm going to say there's two kinds of poetry. And he's like, I know it's always wrong when you say there's two kinds of anything, uh, and it's not really right, but I'm going to do it anyway. And he says, well, there's one kind of poetry where people start out with some idea or feeling that they have and they try to convey that through their poem. And it's usually something that they're sad about because that's what a lot of poetry is about. And then he gets to this point and he's like, the best that I can say about that kind of poetry is that it's well-crafted verse. And he puts it in quotes, you know. (laughs) And then he's like, well, the other kind of poetry is... And then he's like, well, let me just use a metaphor. And he's like, let's say you're going to take a trip. Well, one kind of trip is you could budget how much money you have, and you could, you know, book a book a room at the Holiday Inn for the nights that you need to stay, and you could decide the place you're going in Texas or whatever. That's one kind of trip. Well, the other kind of trip is you, you just take $1,000 cash, get in your car, just start driving, turn whatever place you feel like. You might turn left, you might turn right, you might go backwards. That's all right if you go backwards, too. And you just see whatever happens, happens. And it's kind of dangerous, and you might end up with a, with a bad time. You don't really know, but to me, that's a lot more interesting. And alright, in some ways, maybe that's a simplistic metaphor, but I think the problem is people don't get that about poetry, right? And I, and I do kind of like it as a metaphor. Maybe the fact that it's simple is kind of the nice thing about it is, like, that's an easy way to kind of explain away some of the misconceptions I think people have about poetry. That metaphor, right? Yeah. To be like, okay, what's more interesting, right? You can... Do you want to, you know? But the problem is, I think a lot of people would like that first kind of trip. That's why cruise ships are so popular, right? Cruise ships would not have the business they did if people didn't like that kind of safety. True. But that is boring, right? Who wants to go on a canned trip? You know, where... you're you're on a
1: cruise, (laughs) and it's not a lot of fun, people.
0: (laughs) I mean, that trip where you just get in a car and... Not know where you're going sounds a lot more fun to me.
1: What's the story? A supposedly positive, a supposedly <laughs> great time that I'll never. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, the the David Foster Wallace That's thing. The... Oh yeah, man. Yeah, read that. You will never want to go on a cruise What's again. The title? Um, a supposedly. Ah, man, I can't remember now. You're you're almost on the right track there. It's
1: like a supposedly fun time that I'll never have. It on. is something like that. Yeah. And I'll never want to have again. Oh, yeah, that's
0: horrible. On top of it seeming like a miserable time, he pretty much realizes that all the people working on those slave ships are, like, indentured servants, basically. Basically. Yeah, no, cruise ships are awful.
1: <laughs>
0: so, but yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing about those articles, right? Because it's working on this really kind of... But maybe that's, like, the level the general population is at when they think of poetry, unfortunately. And that's maybe part of why people don't like poetry that much. <laughs> that might be one of the
1: reasons. I mean... Yeah. There's a lot of safety, right? I mean, we, we choose, like, you know, like... Uh, there's some Poet Laureates in some cities that get chosen because of other reasons, but there's a lot of Poet Laureates that get chosen because they're safe, you know? And well, yeah, a, that's certainly part and of they're it. they're very middle of the road, or they're very non-offensive, and they're very, you know...
0: Well, yeah. I, and because they're... Well, because I think in anything, whether you're dealing with arts or not, if you want to be a careerist in that art... It requires a certain level of safety. Probably it's the people who are not the most safe, but it's people who are safe enough
1: to be be palatable. Yeah. Yeah, digestible and accepted, acceptable, safe.
0: But the thing about, I mean, but it's also like that creates an idea of poetry where people think they can't do it, right? Where people think, like, oh, you need to have some...
1: What? I don't know. I made a hand motion, which doesn't help on
0: a podcast. Uh, You need to be some, like, dreamy idealist who also has a great knowledge of language or something, which to me is the opposite of what is... I mean, having knowledge of language is helpful, but that knowledge of language is often often having knowledge of, of the language that is just around you, not necessarily having read particularly specific things or anything, right?
1: True.
0: So, this is a very kind of tangent, but we just
1: found this drawer of stuff. Yeah, and this might be how we close out this episode. But... But but, and, but this is how it, random it does relate stuff, in
0: my mind in some way, because, alright, think about what do you do when you got a bunch of friends over, and you're hanging out? You're probably drinking, having a good time, that's alright, but what do you do? What do you do to pass the time? Play a game, maybe. Maybe you play a game, which is fine, that's fun. But why not write some Poetry. Uh, because that's, that's a fun thing to do, and it's, and it's interesting, right? But we found this drawer of, so, in the old studio, not the St. Claude studio that we're in right now, there was very much a setup of a lot of typewriters and things people could play around on, and we just found this little treasure trove of old poetry, which is probably written by a mix of... You and I. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Certainly a lot of it is Thaddeus Conti. Uh, there may be some... There could be some... Jonathan Lillen- Walters in there. There may be some Craig Morris.
1: There could be some Mac Taylor. There may
0: be... Oh, there probably is some Mac Taylor. In fact, say. I think this one with the circles is probably a Mac Taylor. Yeah. N- knowing him and his word games.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. There's an example of a poet who just goes for it. Yeah, Mac, you know, I mean, Mac just has this view on life and he just, and he just, and he, he's just like a notebook and a pen and he just goes. I mean, Mac has like a dozen poetry books, you know, and I don't think that, I know Mac is, well, I know Mac is a reader, you know, I know he's read, but I don't think that Mac is like a traditionally studied, read, academia, academia poet. He doesn't know the canon, you know. He but knows of the canon, yeah, but he doesn't necessarily have absolutely. like this like incredible, intense, you know. Um, no,
0: and then he comes up with interesting stuff from it, and then but and I and think a lot of it's not know, safe,
1: but also he has some that is safe. So he has like his comfort zone, his Mac comfort zone. He gets into his rhymes and his rhythms, and yeah, his yeah. performance,
0: but. Alright, but my point is, that's a fun thing to do. You should all do it. And then we're going to read some of this, because it's just amusing. Um, but, but... But you're saying that about, like, okay, so we had a we had a range of people, right? Some of these people oh, were... like
1: 30 pieces here. Uh,
0: yeah, but some of them are real short. So some of these are like one line. But, and there's more of them that we can't find, I'm sure, too. But, uh... Some of these people were poets. Sure. For sure. But the thing was, as I recall... Recall these
1: parties? There's a lot of not a lot
0: story. of non poets and those were the, were writing just as much as everyone else. Oh yeah, and that's part of the fun. I don't know. It'll be a great thing if we brought that back as a thing to do at parties. Let's all, and it's also like a wonderful social Maybe. thing, right? Because you pull the thing off the typewriter. Hey, look at this thing I just wrote, and then you all have a laugh about it. It's a different thing, right? And it's probably more of an interactive sort of party than what most people do at parties.
1: Maybe a Poetry Fest uh, or something this year, uh, maybe I should try to have as many of these typewriters fixed up and ready to type as possible. That'd be like, fun. And yeah, then do it again. Whole, just have a whole setup of, have this yeah. whole drafting table set up with eight typewriters or, or something, you know.
0: All right, so do we want to just take turns grabbing a piece of paper out of the yeah. stack and reading what we get?
1: Doth Mechanism Fair and Verb Orient.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Needle nose, dick, and balls left over
0: from last week. Eggs and tummy ache. Where's my mommy? Cry, fart, and poop, and drink, and lie, and sleep, and give, and die.
1: Pound for corporation. Pound for pound for pound for pound for money for pound for money for pound for dollar for pound for dollar for pound for dollar for dollar for dollar dollar for compensation dollar per pound 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 to
0: pay for an ocean. <laughs> Who has the information? Well, that's totally fatty. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this one because it's written and then someone went back with a highlighter and like edited it. Should I read the edited version or, or the original version?
1: Whatever.
0: Self destruction looms in the tarred darkness, lub dub rubbed with glue, and there's no notion, derangent. Derangement of my inconvenient
1: is das. I don't know. <laughs> Drink to be alive just to forget how we got here. We will be home soon.
0: The Plagues of Lovers for R.A. Washington. Tides exploding on the laughing coast as lower pleasures attempt to relieve us from our station, and round 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 we
1: go. There is no path of least resistance.
0: The solemn and provocative sadism of loneliness in numbers. Full tilting a spasm to fruition, the mission has anchored a pill on your tongue. Relax to fashion and force notes of bloat and bliss, if only to sanction the fractured herd.
1: The inherent evils of the Disney Corporation, as told through Memphis Jive. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely (laughs) fabulous. Do not play those people cheap, my brother. If that bitch make it, Would kick it to (laughs) Amsterdam? Oh, I love that.
0: (laughs) Its fingers across all her canvases touched her pale hair and stroked the dark liner around each eye. She found a black feather resting in a gun and took it. She gave so much to me. Who am I to judge her? All her paintings were of birds between flights.
1: I don't know who wrote that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that one. Do you like it? I do kind of like that. Isn't that the whole thing? Oh, wait. There's another one on the back. I'll do okay. that one next. Okay. <laughs> I've been avoiding the typewriter all night, but now I'm avoiding something even worse. Who knew it was possible? <laughs> now disgorging words like so many vomiting rum punches, punch drunk, punch happy, Bella Lugosi's dead. Who knew? I'll tell you who fucking knew. Peter Murphy. That motherfucker knew some things. He might still, if he refrained from this tide of display, disgorgement type of avoidance, by the way. Have you seen the naive young woman with the jack of hearts sticking out of her face? The man who stole William Burroughs' voice placed the card there accidentally, so I'm sure it will be all right in the end. The boys, on the other hand, might actually kill each other. Disgorge, avoid, dismember... I think my bear just went and hid behind the curtain. Even my beer has left me slithering like so many worms from my intestines into yours. Shh. Yours truly, <laughs> eight equals 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 equals.
0: <laughs> I like
1: that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: which I didn't realize when I read the other side. This one is written on or typed on one of those wonderful old certificate sheets yeah. from Laborde's. Nice. She was a healer of us, too. I don't know if she knew. In the trio of found girls singing like an island in a sea of lost men, she made my heart beat again with the drum beats that pumped around the bar room so everyone could have blood. Enough. The year I had my child, there was no love in the world for me, except from the small thing who could not yet speak. She survived on the sound of my heartbeat. I knew... But I too needed music to swim within. So barely awake, so exhausted with growing, I would sit late nights among pockets of strangers and dim lights, and listen to the pumping sound of a drummer surviving. In the day, the wind blew through the window, slid.
1: The unauthorized attempt at dismantling the reestablished self by a machine with little use for a name. (laughs) Saint Geronimo, where are your lands? buried in the burnt of refraction of the sun along the curve of earth. Pretty heavy Thaddeus selection <laughs> in here. <laughs> this
0: is another one that must certainly be Thaddeus. My thousand dollar waterfall is a selectric of this broke-down world, the dapples of professorial sunrise on the friendly dalliance with Ginsberg's trapezoidal coastline. And if they truly be a... My shallow experience, then I hope, and if they truly be a reckless population, as the woman has reported, and as I have gathered in. Oh, that might be a Thaddeus and I collaboration, actually. <laughs> I think. Pretty good. <laughs> but look, that's, that's some fun chapel, stuff. That's a chapel. Yeah, right actually. that's some fun stuff. <laughs> and that was probably, because it was all in the same drawer, one, I would think that was probably one evening, maybe... Maybe not, but... I think that's
1: probably from a couple, two, or three. But I think there's other stuff around that's from other evenings.
0: I want to find that one. Remember I had that one that was on that, like, scroll sheet, and we yeah. had it hung up for a long time? I know, man. That's around... It's around somewhere. I still have... I still have that one where I took... Remember you had all those little blue scraps of that really nice powder blue paper? Yep. Yeah. And I used the script typewriter. Yeah. And I just sat there and kept writing lines on the... Yeah. Because I could only type one line on each because it was just like point. the piece left over.
1: Yeah, that shit's around. It's around. I have that. I have that one. Trust me, I didn't throw but, uh... anything away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, why not do that, right? I mean,
1: uh, I think... It's more games. It's poetry games. It's language games. You know? I wonder what if we... You know, we made... You made cocktail... I mean, we, we, designed, we, we did cocktail poems. You know, it's your poetry, but we designed this game. But... I'm thinking, like, what's 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 the next game? What's what's the next idea for a a poetry uh, a poetry game?
0: Well, I know we should design another poetry game, but I think part of it is things that aren't designed too, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, I like that that's not that's just people messing around, and I think that's fun at a party, right? Like, you're just like, okay, we're having a party, and you can have conversations with people, but then you can also. Sit at a typewriter, create things that are probably often an amalgam of the conversations that are going on, which is also why some of those lines come out so good, because you're probably picking up random snippets of things, Yeah. and then you go have a conversation. But then you go back to a typewriter, go do something later, and people switch out, and it's kind of nice.
1: Well, most people don't have a typewriter at their house.
0: Yeah, that's a shame, ain't it? But you can do it on paper. But it is kind of fun to do it on a typewriter. Alright, I don't know what we talked about today. I I think there was uh, maybe some interesting stuff in there, but I don't remember what most of it was. (laughs) But uh, this is another episode of No Good Poetry. I think maybe next week we might do a six poets you haven't heard of again. We haven't done one of those in a while. Yep. Uh, But maybe we should do a little... Ask for some reviews again. It's been a couple weeks since we've done that.
1: Yeah, let's ask for a review. Let's get a review. I don't know. It's like it's like we just need to point people directly to how to do the review. They have to do it in their app, right, in the iTunes app. Well, I mean that's
0: one way of doing it, but you need to be logged in, right?
1: You regardless, are logged in, I,
0: I don't know. I don't have an I-, I don't have an Apple phone. I don't have an iPhone. I have an Android phone. But, if I leave reviews for podcasts that I like on iTunes, I go on my computer, and I go to iTunes, but I'm logged into my Apple ID. And then I do that, right? Yeah. Uh, is a way to do it. Also, while we're talking about that, other things that people can do that that they don't necessarily do, we have our Facebook page for No Good Poetry. So it's definitely like that if you haven't liked it. But also, uh, Leave us ideas for episodes, because you know what? You might have some great idea of something about poetry that we haven't talked about, and I think that'd be cool if we just had a bunch of people giving us, oh yeah, we'd like you to do an episode on this, on our Facebook page. Well, you know, that's one thing, right? We're at, this is
1: what, 35? 35. And episode 35. You know, I'm, I'm all about uh, calling on, you know, now that we have sort of have our system down and we, we can do... Uh, we could do calls over phone and, and all this sort of stuff. Uh, we could we could uh, we would entertain uh, any ideas for an episode from a caller or someone from afar. So we're gonna maybe you know move into the next year as we move toward Poetry Fest uh, in in April, and uh, we come kind of circling around for our first year of the No Good Poetry Podcast. We're at, we're actually about two thirds of the way there. Uh, we're getting close. Yeah, April will be a year. Yeah. 335 that's 20. closer than
0: we think right we're at what 35 we're at 35 and yeah we're at 52 so we're only 52. 17 away but we started at poetry fest last year which was april
1: 21st probably was the first recording right so, so we're working toward that so it'd be cool to bring more people in and, and as as poetry fest starts to uh starts to go and proposals are due tomorrow and all that stuff for Fest uh, Friday, but this will air on Saturday so it's like yesterday. Proposals will be due yesterday. Uh, it, we'll probably reach out to some people attending Poetry Fest too and see if they want to oh, Yeah, come and absolutely. If, you know you're, you're uh, if Fest, you know you're
0: coming here for Poetry Fest, whether you're presenting or you're just attending and you think you've got something interesting to talk about, shoot us a line. Please reach out
1: to us and we'll uh, We'd love to have you on. Alright, this has been No Good Poetry Podcast.